It's a very lightweight theory for sort of the fundamental metaphysics of reality. And it's, it's really one that I have a pretty high confidence is true just because it's lightweight and it makes predictions. Fun side note about the theory. I have had multiple people offer to sleep with me after I have told them this theory. What? That, yeah, that was a weird thing in college after I had it. This happened on two different occasions. I was hanging out with- uh, Way to bury the lead. Who cares about the nature of reality? This is how to pick up chicks? Come on, Malcolm. Let's focus on the stuff that matters here. Would you like to know more? Hi, gorgeous. Hello, Simone. This- is gonna be a fun one because this is a big pet theory of mine. It is it is where I am gonna go crazy and I'm gonna label this something crazy. Simone today was laughing at some of my titles for videos because she hadn't seen them. Like the one for, for our marriage contract, sign on the bottom line and Simone's all like, ah. yeah. Yeah, but what we're about to talk about, I always, I, I, I joke with Malcolm about this a lot because there's this amazing YouTube channel called Down the Rabbit Hole. And one of the documentaries or videos is is on this crazy guy who has this like theory about the time cube and everything's like cube based logic. And ever since we watched that video, I make fun of Malcolm saying like he has pile based logic because he totally doesn't believe in like folding clothes or putting anything away. Like he has a separate room for his like office and bedroom and is, it is just piles. Everything is piles. Like, I have, I have like buckets, like, like literally like these big plastic bins that I just throw my clothes in yeah. and my system for clothes is all of the clothes I'm actively using, there's two buckets. So I can <laughs> dig through one bucket and throw it in the other bucket as I look for what I want that day. Yeah, it's, it's not even- I would be completely boned if I didn't have you in my life, Simone. <laughs> Actually, we wanted to start this thing where we're going to end our videos with little snippets from our lives. We created this great video of, at least on YouTube, I mean, on the podcast, you know, the, the people aren't going to be able to see it, but to force people to build a parasocial relationship with them. <laughs> So we're going to, uh, at the end of this one, I'm going to try to get that one of you cleaning up oh, so God. people can see how useless I am at anything. Were, no, well, while I'm doing that, you're watching the, the nuggets. So I'm playing with my kids. I'm <laughs> playing with my kids. It. I have brainwashed you into believing that's work. But again, how many housewives have done the same thing, you know? I mean, but uh, yeah, so yeah, I have to say though, like when, when I try to get you and actually like hang something up, I'm like, oh, it's, but they're sky piles. It's a sky pile. It's a, and not, you're not hanging it. It's just a sky pile. <laughs> That's and, how I got you to do strategy walks. Remember, it's like, you're like, I don't want to go on a walk. I'm like, oh, but it's a strategy walk. So that's, that's why we should, that's why we should go on it. But anyway, you actually have a time cube kind of theory of reality. Yeah. I have a time cube theory of reality. And I mm -hmm. genuinely, like, with our future police thing, I'm like, I don't really know if this is true or not, whatever. Like, it's probably, I, I, I like 70%, I, I convinced myself to believe we've it. Confirmation biased our way into kind of believing it. But we also yeah. know that we've confirmation biased our way into believing it. Yeah, well, maybe the future police made us do that. <laughs> but anyway, firm. <laughs> With this one, this one is, is, is quite different. This one, I'm actually fairly certain that this is actually how reality is structured. Break it down, friend. Okay, so it goes with a few premises. It goes like, if you believe these premises, this is the logical outcome of these premises. First, math is not dependent on our reality. And by that, what I mean is in every possible universe, if there are multiple universes, two plus two, always equals four. 
And obviously you can change the rules of math, like using non-Euclidean math to mean that it, it has different outcomes, like math on a sphere versus math on a plane, right? That's going to be different, but that's still within the confines that you give the math, two things and two things is always four things. And then so when I accept this, that means that math must exist outside our reality as we perceive it. So essentially sort of like all equations kind of exist outside of our reality as truisms. The second thing that I take as true is that the thing a mathematical equation represents exists as an emergent property of that equation. So let me explain what I mean by this. So if you have a graphical line, like I can write an equation that is used to describe a line. If this is true, it means that that line exists as a property of that equation even before I physically graph that line. Finally, so this is just three assumptions I'm making here for if you include my assumption that because math exists across reality, that math exists outside of any individual reality. So four assumptions if you include that. But I'm only having four assumptions here. So the fourth is that our reality, the way things interact in our reality, can be described with an equation or set of interlinked equations. Now, this is not something that physics has found yet, okay? So this is a predictive assumption about something physics will find that physics has not yet found, but is making this predictive assumption, okay? And, and by that, what I mean is we keep finding, like if you go into physics and, and, and you dig into particle physics or something like that, we keep finding that forces that originally appeared to be two different forces, like magnetism and electricity, or the small force and electricity, later turn out to just be the same thing once you go higher in the equation. Now, physics has not yet, like there's the, the concept of the unifying theory of physics that we don't have yet, right? But, but, you know, they're working towards that and I'm predicting that we will find one and it will be basically a single mathematical equation. Okay, so if all of those things are true, then that single mathematical equation that describes how reality is interacting, all the little things within what we perceive to be reality, must exist outside of reality. And the reality that it describes in the same way like a graph that it describes would also exist parallel to our reality, even if the equation wasn't graphed. I'll use the term graph, manifested, however you want to put it, even if it wasn't simulated. Hmm. Occam's razor, you don't need to assume that physical reality exists for us to be experiencing all of the things that we think we're experiencing. Does that make sense to you, Simone? Or is there anything there I need to elucidate on or? What, I, what I'd love for you to elaborate on is a lot of people are like, oh, what if we live in a simulation? And I feel like this dovetails in interesting ways with that kind of theory, because what you're saying kind of is, yeah, sure, kind of we're like a, like a sort of an algorithmic simulation, but also like that doesn't mean that our reality is any less reality. And I think people who think that, that we're in a simulation kind of get this perception that there's like some other more removed reality, like more the real world, you know? 
So if this theory is true, it means the master reality, the mm -hmm. reality outside of a simulation is a self-simulating reality. And so a reality that was contained within a simulation wouldn't be particularly less meaningful than the master reality. It also has some yeah. other moral implications. It means that all possible realities that can be described by an equation simultaneously exist. So there mm -hmm. are multiple universes, that, but you cannot travel between them. But any uh, reality described by the same equation, depending on how the equation works, potentially you can travel between them. Multiple ways for solving the same equation lead to splitting realities. So if there is one equation, but this equation can be solved in multiple ways, then you would have different realities for each one of those ways the equation can be solved as a different graphical representation of the equation. Yeah. So it ha has some implications on the fundamental underlying like reality. So you can say, why do you believe this about reality? Like this seems like a lot of things to believe. This is the model for reality that relies on the fewest assumptions that I can come up with at least and the least complicated assumptions and assumptions that seem the most obviously and intrinsically true to me. Um, One thing that's really fun about this is, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how can you be secular Calvinists or how can you be, you know, have all this deterministic thinking, you know, with also like a, a fairly atheist background in terms of truth in our metaphysical understanding of reality. Well, this is how, like we, we can believe that everything that could happen has happened and will happen has happened in the same way that with an equation, mm -hmm. when you plug in different numbers, you're going to get like the, the, the outputs are there. So every graphical representation, as you say, you know, every reality is there. And I think that that's kind of fun. It's, I think it's fairly elegant. It's fairly lightweight. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it does color our, our moral view of reality. It, it, it I would say offers some comfort in that I think a lot of people are like, well, if this is a simulation, we have to like please the players of the game or some like simulation builder. And like, that's no, 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 that's not it. You know, it's, it's, it's really not. It's, it's just everything is and everything will be and everything has been and everything can be all at the same time. And we're a part of that. And that doesn't invalidate our experience at all as humans. It's just kind of how things are. And I don't know, it, it gives me... It gives me comfort. It also doesn't do a whole lot. You know, it doesn't like change because, you know, it doesn't practically on a day to day basis change anything about how we live. We still have the things that we want to fight for and we don't know how things are going to play out. So we're still excited to see what happens per the weird way that humans perceive the world and reality and time on this sort of arbitrarily linear basis. Right. But well, has it changed like your metaphysics? Like, are your morals different because of this view of reality? a tough question it has shaped my other views on reality like this theory i came up with when i was in college mm -hmm. uh, i actually wrote about it in the college philosophy magazine oh when i came up with it yeah so it's a fairly old theory in terms of my views of the world and so a lot of other views i have on the world like the concept of the future police which which we have as a family religion this idea that eventually a million 10 million years from now if my distant descendants are still around if I ask myself, are they more the way I would think of a human today or more the way I would think of like a God today? And I consider that we're only like 200 years away from being able to literally create heavens, right? Like simulated environments that we can upload people into where they can get their every need served, where mm -hmm. we could have an AI lattice around the world that you could beseech for favors, basically pray to, and it could solve those favors. The type 
of God that these entities, that my descendants could be a million, 10 million years from now, is beyond anything that we can conceive today. Mm -hmm. And that being the case, he used to say they relate to time the way we relate to time. Mm -hmm. um, and that being the case, you know, we built this family structure around these descendants, we call it descendant worship instead of ancestor worship, are rewarding us for creating a prosperous future for the human species and a, a pluralistic future for the human species and a future where people are, are thriving and having new ideas and everything like that. So we, you know, raise our kids believing that. So they have this motivation, both to have kids, right? But also to try to make the future a better place and feel like they have agency over that future. So mm -hmm. I think that this belief and, and the determinism that is sort of a result of it has big implications on the future. And we did another video, which is one of our least watched videos that's on like free will and determinism. And I'd really suggest people check it out if they hear this theory and they go, oh, this means we don't have free will. Because I don't mm. think free will and determinism are incompatible at all. No, hardly. Yeah. I really like what it means for a world in which we're simulated. Because the really cool thing about a world in which we're simulated is in many ways, for the way some people judge morality, it could be a world with more meaning than a self-simulating world. How? Well, I'll explain what I mean by that. A self-simulating world exists simply because all equations bring simulations of themselves into reality. Okay. Right? But a simulated world, it exists for a purpose. Its creators were trying to do something with that simulation, whether it was do historical research or predict some future event or maximize like qualia because they have some belief around like that's a positive thing in the world. And so you are potentially serving your role within this great function, even if you don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, another interesting thing about this theory is it becomes potentially less likely we're in a simulation in that literally an infinite number of self-simulating realities will exist based on these equations. However, a higher infinite number of simulations will exist. Because even if an infinite number of realities will exist within each of those realities, people could create simulations. But I think for a lot of people, what they assume is that a like fixed number of realities exist. And this would assume that a literal infinite number of realities likely exist, depending mm. on how these equations work. Mm. Mm. I see. I see. Hmm. But I do like what you said about it. It's lightweight. That's why I like it. It's a very lightweight theory for sort of the fundamental metaphysics of reality. And it's, it's really one that I have a pretty high confidence is true just because it's lightweight and it makes predictions. I just love that one day it makes a bunch of predictions about the future. And if, it, if those predictions come true, it is more likely to be true. It's not saying that it's definitely true, but you know, it's a shot calling prediction on the fabric of reality. Yeah. So we'll see how it plays out. I'm very curious. I love you. I do. I love that you tolerate my theories like this. This is actually a, sorry, fun, fun side note about the theory. I have had multiple people offer to sleep with me after I have told them this theory. What? That, yeah, that was a weird thing in college after I had it. This happened on two different occasions. I was hanging out with- uh, Way to bury the lead. Who cares about the nature of reality? This is how to pick up chicks? Come on, Malcolm. Let's focus on the stuff that matters here. I, well, I've, I've never had any other thing where like I had an idea that people thought was so good that they wanted to sleep with me over it. And it wow. could just be that they were drunk and they thought, oh, he just said something he's proud of. So I'm going to flatter that aspect of his ego <laughs> and use that to manipulate him. But, you know, we'll see.
I don't know. I think it's, it's really hot when someone's passionate about something, especially if they're like willing to be really open and honest about it. And it's not something you've heard before. So I could see that it's not necessarily this theory. It's the fact that you are really passionate about it. You've thought through it. That's a, I think a very masculine trait that's very underrated is, is the sign of a passionate outlier because like, what is, what is like more the essence of masculinity than being that dangerous outlier that actually succeeds, you know, and like, it's almost like, this sounds horrible, but like metaphorically begins like with the, like with sperm, right? Like just that one, that one crazy outlier gets to survive. And then like now when women see like that one, like man, who's totally different, but really passionate and willing to do something really weird. She's just like, oh yes, let me get my teeth into him. So I uh, that, like just, that thing you said about sperm, it actually reminds me. So the Federalists, they did a piece on us and they said, um, no. they've put their kids in a sick game where the healthiest get to live. <laughs> and it's like, what do you think is happening every time you impregnate a woman? You're, yeah. you're, imagine you said that about sperm. It, instead of describing <sighs> it as sex, a sick game where only their healthiest gametes the survive. Game. Well, what is, what is you know, human, as, as the, the French court in the 1700s <laughs> used to describe it, commerce. What is commerce? But a sick game, honestly. Well, yeah, anyway, I find these, these conversations delightful. They're like our little dates. She's I certainly... So sad. Do we not do enough real dates? We, we don't... We don't want to spend money on, like, drinks. Oh, God, sorry. I forgot that we might have to spend money if we went on a date. Yeah. I am so sorry. This is why we work together. You know, we're CEOs of the same company together. We we write our books together. We do our speeches together. Combine the speaker, you know, to make it cheaper for the end. We like to be frugal for other people as well. But all, all of this is how we pay for our dates, which is to say other people pay for them to, like, well, if we're going to go to X city to speak, we may as well walk around, go for go for a walk around town together. Yeah, it's like a date. It's like go a vacation. It's a lunch. Yeah. Um, those are the only dates that are worth doing. No guilt. Yeah, the, the best meals out are those which you do not pay for. Otherwise, not worth it. But yes, I love you very much. Looking forward to our next one already. I love you. <laughs>